The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Capital Weekly Editor Rich Eisen, and uh, joined uh, once again by my colleague in in crime here, uh, my partner in crime, I should say, my colleague, Tim Foster, who is back from vacation. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Great. How was the vacation? Uh, you know, I know you were, it was a working vacation. I'm, I'm saying vacation in air quotes here, but uh, you got to go to some pretty good places. I did. I, you know, I was in Italy and Spain and France and then uh, the UK. So it was a whirlwind, but it was, it was fun. And I have to say, uh, you know, we were talking about this right before we started, that the strangest part of the entire thing is that in the entire two and a half weeks I was gone through four countries, I saw maybe 25 homeless people and I saw no real large encampments or anything anywhere. And that was really striking to me. And it really (laughs) underscored that this is a solvable problem because all these other countries seem to have solved it. And I'm sure that they have fentanyl crisis and mental health illnesses and other things, but they are solving it. So that was a real eye opener for me. I've not been over to Europe in, uh, in some time. So I hadn't really expected that. And uh, anyway, but that's story for another day. We have a guest. We do have a guest and we're really uh, uh, pleased to welcome Senator Scott Weiner, who is here to talk about um, an audit report that came out recently uh, that deals with um, some health reporting related to sexual orientation and gender identity. And I was really intrigued by this when I saw it come out because, uh, you know, we need to understand a lot more than we do about health outcomes. And this is one area where we understand there's a lot of disparities. So Senator, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into it. So um, first of all, this was an audit that you called for uh, with the California Department of Public Health in regard to the data that they collect. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what the audit was, why you called for it, and and you know what the results were that uh, you're thinking about needing that might need more legislation to address? Uh, Sure. Um, This is actually very uh, basic. What we want is that just like when uh, people in, in a healthcare setting are asked about what their race is, what their gender is, what their age is, and we collect that demographic data so that we know, for example, whether there are racial disparities with COVID or cancer or anything else, or whether older people are more likely uh, to have certain health outcomes more severe than younger people. The only reason, the only way that we know that is because we actually ask people um, to voluntarily tell us things like age and race and so forth. Uh, Unfortunately, in our healthcare system uh, and our public health system, we uh, until recently would never ask people, what is your sexual orientation? What is your gender identity? And even now it's pretty uh, uncommon. And so that means we're pretty much flying blind when it comes to uh, knowing what the health disparities are, what the needs are of LGBTQ uh, people. Uh, And so uh, when COVID started in 2020, we realized very quickly that we had almost no data terms of impacts of the pandemic 
on LGBTQ people. Uh, and so uh, I authored uh, a bill uh, that year and it passed um, almost unanimously uh, requiring the Department of Public Health to start collecting that data. Um, we could see pretty quickly that it was not going very well. Uh, and so last year I asked our state auditor to conduct an audit of the Department of Public Health uh, to figure out what's working, what's not working. Uh, and the audit results that just came out that you just referenced, uh, to be honest, were horrifying. Uh, the department is uh, technically doing the bare minimum to comply with the law, but um, in about almost 90% of the department's forms that ask people questions about things like race and age, they're not asking about sexual orientation. In about 90% of the forms that the department uses where they ask people about things like race and age, they are not asking uh, about sexual orientation and gender identity, uh, even though there's nothing that would preclude them from doing that. Uh, the department simply has not been prioritizing gathering this data. Uh, there's also no real centralized function um, to try to uh, drive this and, and get this data. Uh, and so the auditor uh, makes a series of recommendations uh, to try to improve the situation. Uh, and we're looking at legislation next year uh, to implement those recommendations. Well, I'm kind of curious what kind of disparities come out of this? You know, what, what what's the, you know, the thing that this creates, you know, what, what information is being left out here that you feel is critical for us to understand? Well, if there's anything we learned from COVID, we learned a lot of things, but one of the things that we learned uh, is that not everyone is affected the same way by health problems. Uh, and so we saw with COVID that black and brown communities were more likely to get infected, more likely to get very sick, more likely to die. We saw that older people were much more likely to die than younger people and so on and so forth. Uh, but again, the only way that you know those disparities is because you're asking people the question. They don't have to answer, but they usually do. And you're collecting that data. Um, with LGBTQ people, we have a sense from the limited data we have that LGBTQ people are more like are at higher risk of certain kinds of cancers, um, higher risk of uh, of certain kinds of uh, health um, problems, uh, but we don't have comprehensive data. So why not why not try to get that comprehensive data? Because if you don't have the data, it's hard to implement strategies to try to re to to try to make people healthier. Uh, and, and again, we are truly almost flying blind when it comes to, um, when it comes to, uh, health and LGBTQ people, because we're simply not asking the question and the California department of public health has not gone anything done, gone even close to above and beyond in trying to collect that data. You know, and, and frankly, I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this data was not already collected because we know that there are different health outcomes, for example, uh, HIV, the, the amount of HIV in the LGBTQ community is much higher than in the other community. And so I, I'm really surprised this wasn't asked. Was there, is there any pushback from the community itself? Maybe they feel like they don't want to identify themselves to the doctors. Do you, do you feel like that might be a concern? 
No, no. I mean, to be clear, when these demographic questions are asked, no one's required to answer. If you're going to see your doctor and it asks you your race, you're not required to check a box on your race. You can just leave it blank. And the same is true around sexual orientation, gender identity. No one um, is being forced or will be, no one will be forced to answer the question. It's a voluntary thing. Uh, so if someone doesn't feel comfortable answering it, they can just leave it blank. But we know that that most people will answer the question. And as people get used to seeing the question, more and more people will go ahead and voluntarily uh, answer it. Um, that you know, so if someone is closeted and doesn't want to say, they don't have to. But you know, we're in the year 2023. Uh, being gay or lesbian or transgender is not a, a dirty secret. Um, we're not living in 1962, um, and uh, and and people absolutely should at least have the option of being able to, to, to provide that information. Senator, you noted that a really high percentage of these uh, entities were exempt from collecting this uh, information. They weren't barred from doing it, but there, as you noted, there was nothing that required them to do that. How did that come to be? Um, well, we were when we passed the, the uh, data collection law in 2020, we were very focused on uh, infectious disease. Um, a few years before that, uh, the legislature passed a law around uh, certain kinds of benefits uh, and unemployment in particular. Um, so we've, we've, we, in terms of the laws we passed, it's been a little patchwork addressing specific issues. Uh, and it's time for us to handle it comprehensively. Uh, and that's what the audit um, recommends. And that's what uh, we're, we're, seriously considering doing. Is there an intersection here with federal law that would maybe create some problems for trying to standardize the forms and the questions that get asked? Um, well, um, under federal law, there's uh, no requirement to collect this data, although some federal agencies do. Um, uh, in addition, there we there are some challenges, for example, there's a national um, lab protocol, like for blood work and other kinds of bodily fluids, uh, a national lab protocol that does not include uh, this data for sexual orientation, gender identity. So there are obstacles that go beyond California. California can't completely solve the problem on our own, but we can do a heck of a lot more than what we're doing right now. And have you communicated with public health to ask, you know, what is the problem here? Why, why, why is there resistance here? Uh, yes, we've, my, my office has repeatedly met with Department of Public Health in the last few years. I've met with Department of Public Health. Um, our entire LGBTQ caucus in the legislature had a meeting with senior management at the Department of Public Health a few months ago about this issue. Um, so we've had various conversations and I want to be clear, there's no bad faith here. They're not hostile or opposed to collecting this data. These are people who are, who are very, very supportive of the LGBTQ, uh, uh, community. So this is not about disparaging anyone or, or, or calling names. This is about, um, institutionally, we need the department of public health to have a more centralized global strategy. To, and to say that this is going to be not the exception, but this is the rule 
that we're going to ask these questions and gather uh, this data. And, and I believe the Department of Public Health wants to get there. Um, we're just going to have to help them along. Now, this is not happening in a vacuum. Uh, California is sort of a world apart from much of the rest of the country, which is does not seem concerned about increasing the uh, positive health outcomes of LGBTQ people. And in fact, many states and jurisdictions across the country are very aggressively pursuing policies that are harmful to the LGBTQ community, specifically the trans community. And, uh, you know, it seems like California has been greatly in opposition to that. Can you speak to that, to what's going on uh, more broadly in the country? And do you have any insights there into what what's causing this and, and what it's doing to the trans community in those in those places? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's not only the trans community. The trans community is definitely the uh, the number, the top target of these bigots in the red states that uh, that are passing laws to attack the community, but they're going after drag queens. They're going after gay lesbians, they're going after all of us. Um, but they are in particular and and really, uh, really going after trans people uh, and, and trying to um, erase them and make them even illegal. And so uh, it, it's really, really scary, the homophobia and transphobia that is just being openly expressed in this country uh, and openly uh, integrated into state laws. Uh, and so that makes it even more important for California to move aggressively in the opposite direction to support LGBTQ people. Uh, and, and, and collecting data is certainly a part of that because that's what will make us most effective in addressing the health needs of our community. As we noted going in, you you have expressed uh, interest or the possibility that there might be legislation, uh, I presume next year, that would require uh, the California Department of Public Health to do a better job of this. Uh, where are you at with that? And maybe what would something like that look like? And I know it's a long way off, but you know, just give me an idea of uh, where, where you're at with that possibility. Do you think there's a possibility that it will not end up being necessary or does that look like how it's going to end up having to go? Well, I, I, I think it's very likely that we will do legislation. And my colleague, assembly member Rick Saber uh, from Los Angeles has also expressed interest. So I'm sure he and I will work together um, on uh, legislation. I've already flagged this for our entire LGBTQ caucus, uh, which is very committed to the issue. Uh, so I think it's very likely that we'll do legislation next year. Um, it may simply be straight up implementation of the auditor's recommendations. There might be additional items we add in. Uh, we'll certainly work with the department. Um, and of course, if the governor were to issue an executive order adopting uh, those um, recommendations, that could avoid the need for legislation. So it'll be a collaborative effort and uh, we'll get it done one way or the other. I, I stand on that, though, for just a minute, you know, especially if there's a, a large amendment that needs to be made to forms that people fill out. Is there a big dollar component here that will have to be considered? Well, anytime you change forms, there is a cost. Uh, but this cost, you know, is, uh, you know, pretty small in the big scheme of things. And uh, that's just an issue we always have to navigate. Um, 
but th this is a priority and uh and and I, i'm optimistic we'll be able to get something done okay well senator scott wiener thank you so much for coming on today and talking about this say so, hey just while while we have you here is there anything else you want to talk about that that we should know any legislation you're working on that you're excited about aside from from this well i mean there's always housing housing yeah i was going to say every other time we've had you on uh, you know you've been at our yeah. events and, and we've had you on the podcast before we've always been talking about housing anything anything new and exciting there that uh maybe hasn't gotten the attention it deserves um no it's all got i mean we're we have a few bills that are moving forward and um you know they're getting some you know good coverage uh but they're important um you know making sp35 permanent and allowing churches etc to build affordable housing on their lands these are really important uh bills for california's uh future you just and have a bill get through uh, the housing committee, correct? Uh, was it SB five ninety three? Well, SB five ninety three, in addition to SB four twenty three and SB four, uh, both Pat, all three of those bills passed both the housing committee and the governance and finance committee. That was about housing that maybe had been lost to redevelopment issues, right? Right, five ninety three, the fifty eight hundred. Uh, affordable homes that were demolished and have not been replaced. So I'm um, giving San Francisco some financing tools uh, to be able to replace those uh, affordable homes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Senator, thank you very much for, for coming on the show today. As, as, as uh, Tim said, we really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure we'll talk with you again in the future, probably about housing again. That seems to yeah. be, know, <laughs> we talk a lot about housing because that's a big issue here in California. Don't have to tell you that. Uh, but thank you very much uh, for coming on the show, and we'll be watching to see what happens with uh, legislation on this issue uh, next year. Okay, really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you soon. Well, now that the senator is gone, I think it's time we can talk about everyone's favorite uh, piece of the Capital Weekly podcast, who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Yes, who had the worst week in California politics? I think, you know, so often we have a, you know, a handful of possibilities, but boy, I tell you this week it seems like there is a there's a winner straight out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would probably be California State Senator Dave Min, uh who is running for Congress uh, next year and is expected to be in a pretty competitive race in in Orange County and um yeah, he didn't help his cause this week when he, uh, leaving a Capitol event, he got arrested for DUI. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't see the story. Where was he actually coming from? Uh, I, I'm trying to remember the exact event right now. It was, uh, I know there were some pictures posted to, to social media uh, right before he left. Um, so I, but I'd have to look at the exact event. I can't remember exactly where, where it was, but, uh, and as he noted, he said, yeah, a bit, you know, it was a bad decision. Shouldn't have done it. Yeah, that's that's right. Probably shouldn't have done it because I, though I do wonder, this always begs the question, you know, we've, we have got to this place now where uh, certainly in the Donald Trump and post Donald Trump years where, you know, we seem to not hold people nearly as accountable for these kinds of transgressions as we used to. And, you know, the, the partisan aspect of it all where somebody would, would forgive almost anything if it's 
their own guy, right? So I, I do, I wonder how much it's going to affect him, and especially since the election is next year. Um, but boy, here in the here and now, you'd have to think uh, it certainly gives uh, any opponents a lot of ammunition for uh, their campaigns against him. Yeah, well, and I certainly saw, you know, John Fleischman, who uh, does the Flash Report and is a conservative activist, he was uh, making sure <laughs> making sure the word got out about uh, Senator Min's uh, foibles, uh, for sure. So I'm sure they will be making hay on there. I don't have a good sense of how close that campaign is going to be down there. I'm sure there will be, uh, you know, folks from his own party will probably be making hay of this as well. Uh and, you know, I, I will say his statement was, you know, as, as good as one could be taking full responsibility, saying not trying to evade anything. Uh, and we'll see, you know, what what comes of this. But, yeah, I would say it was a pretty easy pick. The L.A. Fire Department got uh, slammed. The L.A. Times did some some coverage of some pretty crappy behavior, frankly. Uh, and, you know, they might they might have taken this if, if Senator Dave had not uh, had not pulled the win. Yeah, that that situation is also pretty gross, but but yeah, I would have to say, on a, on a pure on a pure, <laughs> you know, wide wide distribution of your bad of your bad week, I, I'd say he's he's the winner. Yeah. So, all right. Well, next week we'll be back with another exciting episode of Who Had the Worst Week in California Politics, and we'll probably talk to some policymaker with some actually important things to say uh, versus us just. Yeah, you know, shooting the wounded. Yep, absolutely. So, all right. We'll talk to you soon, Rich. All right, Tim. Take care. And uh, we'll see all of you next time on the Capital Weekly Podcast. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week.